13 through 14 and talked about the narrow gate or the straight gate, the narrow way and the broad way. And, uh, and Jesus is continuing that thought into this week when he says, beware of false teachers. The truth is vital. It's always vital. The truth is vital. It's a matter of life and death. That's something that we need to always remember. And there are many people that will give you false information and tell you that the end that you will arrive to will be good for you. Well, I want you to know that's not always true. The truth is vital. And Jesus gives this warning, beware of false prophets, beware of false teachers. Why? Because following them will lead you to destruction. Pick that right up from the previous passage. Uh, Broad is the way and easy that leads to destruction. False teachers, there's a lot of them out there. We know that there were a lot in the Old Testament. We know that there are a lot in the New Testament. Uh, I won't name any of them or many of them today. I'll say many. Uh, But I do want you to know there are many false teachers out there. Parents, I want you to listen up today, and I want you to pick up on how to recognize false teachers today. All of you, I want you to recognize it. But parents, I want you to recognize it. Because let me tell you something that some preachers will not tell you. Satan wants the minds of your children because Satan wants your children. He wants their minds. He wants their thinking. He wants your thinking. He wants to change your thinking to a false way of thinking. And so I think it's imperative for us to listen to the warning of Jesus when he says, beware of false prophets. There are many of them. Today I want us to look and notice some distinguishing characteristics of false prophets. Um, In Jeremiah chapter 5, we see in the Old Testament that God is Jeremiah, and he is talking about how his people have ignored him, they have disobeyed him, and not only have the people, but they have followed the suit, they have followed the lies, they have followed the way of the leaders of Israel, the leaders of Jerusalem, the religious leaders, uh, and the princes of the Uh, of the people. And I read it this morning in my pastoral prayer, but I want to read it again because I want us to see that God in the Old Testament looked at false prophets as appalling and even more appalling that the people listened to them. Verse 30, Jeremiah chapter 5, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Nothing to do. When the end comes, it will lead to destruction, Jesus points out. A false doctrine, a false gospel leads to destruction. And there's lots of them out there. Um, There's a popular video going around. I remember years ago, I I took this same, uh, same transcript and used it in one of my sermons 
probably on false teaching. It was a transcript of Larry King Live, and he had Joel Osteen on there. And there's a very popular video out right now, y'all. Probably y'all to look it up. It's really both humorous and tragic. Uh, but it's Steve Lawson taking that transcript and Larry King's reading, you know, these questions, you know, about people believing in Jesus. Well, what if somebody doesn't believe in Jesus? And the answer that Joel Osteen gives is, I don't know. That's a false teacher, folks. He is the most popular religious person in the United States of America, perhaps the world. And he says he doesn't know if someone will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. I want us to understand that it's that philosophy and that thinking and that false gospel that Satan uses to deceive and destroy families. We need to know the word of God. You need to know the word of God. The word of God that helps us to distinguish that which is true. And that which is not. And so I want us to look at distinguishing characteristics of false prophets. Let me give you three things I'm going to, I'm going to say. First of all, they disguise themselves. False prophets disguise themselves. Uh, they wear a mask. Secondly, their teaching, in their teaching, there is no narrow way. There is no narrow way. And thirdly, there are no alarming doctrines in their teaching. There are no alarming doctrines in their teaching. First, they disguise themselves. Look what Jesus said. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That's a transformation, isn't it? I mean... That's craziness, right? Have you ever seen a wolf? All right. Have you ever seen a sheep? You know, I, I don't have sheep, but I have coyotes. And they're a miniature wolf, okay? Uh, some of them are kind of large, but, I mean, they're a miniature wolf. I was sitting outside one day at my house, and I was talking on the phone. And as I was sitting there, I had my chickens. They were out. You know, they were free-ranging out there. Uh, having a big time, you know, frolicking in the sun, and it was spring, and there were bugs flying, and they were running. Y'all ever watch a chicken run after a bug? That is the funniest thing you'll ever see, you know. I mean, they're running, and when one of them starts running, all of them start running. I mean, that's what they do. And they're just having a big time out there, and in a flash, a coyote comes out of the woods, Grabs one of my chickens. It was a buff Orpington. That was a pretty bird, too. Grabbed that. And, I mean, I jumped up, and before I could get in the house to get my before I could even get in the house, that coyote was gone with that bird. There wasn't nothing but a pile of feathers out there. That dude was ferocious. He was fast. And he was unmerciful. 
How can a wolf act like a sheep? Pretty simply, evidently. Because Jesus is giving us a warning. They'll look like you. They'll talk like you. They're not you. And they're not from me. They're a completely different kind. And you need to be aware. Jesus is warning that false teachers are deceptive, just like Satan. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is writing to the, the, the people uh, there at Corinth. And he's really kind of defending himself uh, because false teachers have come in. They have taught that which is false uh, in Corinth. Uh, they have ridiculed and criticized Paul. They have told the people in Corinth that Paul really doesn't love them uh, and all these things. And Paul starts pointing to his character while he was among them. He starts t- uh, talking to them about, I didn't ask you for money. I didn't ask you to fulfill any needs. I didn't do any of this stuff. And he says, I want you to know I'm all about and I'm, I'm better than these, false, these super apostles that y'all, y'all are holding up. And, um, and he says, you know that I love you. And in verse 12, he says this. And what, am I, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. In other words, those false teachers were claiming, hey, we're preaching the same message as Paul. We work on the same terms. We do the same thing. We follow the same God. We have the same standards, all these things. And Paul's saying, no, they don't. No, they don't. I didn't ask you for a dime. I didn't do, he didn't do anything that a false teacher would do. Continuing on, verse 13. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. The word disguise means to show on the outside what is not true on the inside. That's what that word means. To show on the outside what is not true on the inside. We find it in Romans 12, 2, where it says, Do not be transformed by the pattern of this world. Okay? Or conformed, I'm sorry. Do not be conformed to the, I'll get it right, to the pattern of this world. That's why I had trouble with the second part of it, because I used the wrong word. Don't be conformed. To conform. That word means in a picture to show on the outside what is not true on the inside. It's a word in the theater in Greek that is known to masquerade. When the actors would get up, they didn't wear costumes and stuff. They just had masks that showed the character of the role that they were playing. That's what Satan does. Satan doesn't come at us like, I'm Satan. He doesn't do that, okay? That's not what he does. He, he comes at us with, with uh, you know, sunshine and rainbows. 
he comes at us with things that are that are pleasant and nice and you know you know I want to I just want to be happy well here let me show you how to be happy Satan will be glad with a smile to walk you over to his scheme of happiness this is the character of false teachers they have the same character as their father the devil power prestige and money they disguise themselves the didache which is a document that was written not long after the new testament not long after the first century uh, is a, a an early christian writing that focuses on uh, how christians should live uh, it is a it's a document that says go this way it's very much like uh, the passage that we've been looking at uh, very much like uh, verses 13 through uh, through 14, giving us two ways. You know, enter this way, enter this gate, go this way. Don't go this way. Here, uh, there's good fruit and there's bad fruit. Here, there's a good tree and a bad tree. So the Didache kind of took that uh, compare or that contrasting uh, way, different ways of living, and wrote them down in an early Christian document of teaching. And one of the things that was in an early Christian document was that of false teachers. How do you tell what a false teacher is? Well, the term that they used for false prophets is Christ imporos. Christ imporos. Christ imporos. Christ merchants is what it means. They were Christ merchants. And so the, the holy trinity of false prophets certainly fits. Power, prestige, and money. Christ merchants. They were pandering the word of God. They were selling it. They were using the word of God to their own end and to their own means. How do you know? Well, they actually gave a few things. Let me give you four things that the Didache pointed out so that you could know if someone was a false prophet. It says, a true prophet will stay for one, maybe two days at your home because he has work to be about. He's got to go and do the work that he's called to do. A false prophet will stay three or more days. He has nothing particular to do. He has no mission to carry out except his own self-interest. And, you know, a roof over his head and food in his belly, that's a good thing, all right? So, uh, no, so, so if he stays more than two days, false prophet, get him out of there, you know. Um, second test is that a true prophet will not ask for anything other than bread or water. But a false prophet will ask for and even demand money. The third test is in his life. Does his life align with the standards of his teaching? A false prophet? No. A true prophet? Yes. The fourth thing is, is he willing to work? Or is he just willing to live off of the work of others? Is he willing to get his own hands dirty, support himself? That's one reason I think Paul always pointed out, hey, I didn't take anything from you. I wasn't a burden to you. 
I didn't ask for food. I didn't ask for nothing. The people of Macedonia were supporting me to do the work in Achaia. So we see that these Christ merchants had as their aim power, prestige, and money. How do you recognize them? Well, the Didache gives us these things. But Jesus points out, he says, look, they're, 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 uh, the false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And then listen to what he says, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Just stop right there for a moment. If you're going to recognize a false prophet, you're going to have to get close to him. You're going to have to move in. You're going to have to look and see what their teaching is and what their life is like. You don't just take somebody else's word for it. You dig into it yourself a little bit. You have to get close. You know, thorns and thistles, you can't see those from a distance. Let me tell you something. I can't even see them from up close. I mean, every once in a while, you know, it's getting close to deer season. You get out and clean some stuff up, you know, and you, you, you're out and you're kind of, you know, making you a shooting lane or whatever, you know, and, and you're pulling stuff down and you're doing fine. And then you all ever just run down one of those vines and has those thorns on it? You didn't see them. I mean, you can't see them up close, much less from a distance. Got to move in and see. Does it have fruit on it? So not only do you have to get close, you also have to give it time. You also have to see, is there, is there, is there fruit here? You get up and you notice, well, there's no thorns, no thistles, but you kind of start looking under the leaves and there's nothing there. I mean, Jesus went up to a fig tree, didn't have any figs on it. He cursed it. I mean, he knew. He's kind of like, where are the figs? He got up close, and he looked. And he knew what kind of tree it was, and he knew what kind of fruit it ought to give. Those who claim Jesus Christ give a particular fruit off. not random fruit. It's Christ fruit. Now, what, is, what does that mean? I mean, Jesus is mixing the metaphors up, so they're all kind of telling us the same thing. But what fruit is this? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not success. Okay? It's not success. Uh, you know, it's not how big your church gets or how excited everybody is about going to your church or anything like that. It's, it's not about that. It's not success. There's a lot of preachers and a lot of churches that have grown astronomically and got famous and they wrote books and they did all this stuff, but that doesn't make them, that doesn't prove that their fruit is good. 
that's the case, the Mormon church is doing great. Not success. It's not personal fulfillment. Good fruit is not personal fulfillment. How's that flesh out? Well, y'all ever heard this? God wants me to be happy. Anybody? Anybody ever heard that? Uh, Somebody give you their explanation of why they're leaving their wife or they're leaving their husband? Or why they're coming out of the closet? Well, God wants me to be happy, and God would not want me to hide my sexual orientation, or he would not want me to be miserable in this relationship. So I'm coming out of that one and going into another one. That's not good fruit. Fruit, first of all, means character. Character. Of a person are we dealing with here? Are they after the power, the prestige, and the money? Or is this a person that is obviously genuine? Not only do they genuinely care and they have character, but fruit also means teaching, and the two go along with one another. What way is he pointing? Which direction is he saying to go? In other words, the character of a true teacher is in line with true teaching and in line with the Word of God. And so we hear uh, the Word of God being taught and we see, that's what it says, and we see that this person is in line with it in their living. Okay, we're in good shape then. But it's obvious when they're not. It's obvious when they're not. So we look at the, the character and we look at the teaching. Never forget that false prophets, they disguise themselves. And their disguises are very good. Jesus is not talking about false prophets out in the world so much as he's talking about false prophets among you. Beware of those. They are in the church. They're preachers. They're Sunday school teachers. They're members, they're deacons. They're in our seminaries teaching for their students. They're all the way through. And so we never let our guard down, but we always stand firm on the Word of God. You will recognize them by their fruits, by their character, and by their teaching. Let's say a couple of things about their teaching. In their teaching, 
There is no narrow way. They discuss, remember what it says, verse 13? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Anybody can get to that one. No resistance there, right? Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The way of the false prophet is the broad way. It's the way where everybody comes in. I mean, there's no resistance. You can just walk right on in. You can enjoy yourself. You know, you got a lot of people. They look like you. They act like you. But you got a lot of different people, too. Do y'all know what the catch word on the Broadway is? Tolerance. Look at the diversity. Look at the diversity of this people. We tolerate anything. We're, we're very diverse. Man, when you start hearing those two words, you better start being careful. Tolerance and diversity. Those are two words of the new philosophy that stands against the truth of God. So I, I, I'm just pointing a couple of things out here. Their way is broad. Jesus has just spoken about the the kingdom's citizens' way, the way that they have to go to travel. It's narrow and it's hard. Y'all remember the illustration? That this isn't two roads that are crossing one another. This is one road and the broad way are both lanes and the yellow line is the narrow. Both lanes are coming at you and you're on the narrow way, right in the middle. <laughs> and they're slugging you as they go by. You're going against the flow of this world around. And you're walking through that, and they're mocking you, and they're pushing you, and they're uh, killing you, and everything else. Narrow is the way. It's a way that is full of mockery and tribulation. Paul wrote to Timothy in his second letter, final letter to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Instead of a gospel that leads to a narrow way, it's a broad way. It pleases those who are displeased. With God's ways. Did y'all hear what I said there? It's pleasing to those who are displeased with God's ways. They've been hurt by a church or they don't want to go to the normal church or regular church or standard church. They want some other kind of church. Some kind of church that does things different. Some kind of church that has some different description on the front end of it. Like a biker church or cowboy church. They're not all false prophets. They're reaching for the sun. Understand what I'm saying. But people who've been hurt 
people who've not been ministered to as they think they should have. That's the audience of false prophets, by the way. The people who have shunned the church. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes to Timothy and writing here again. Chapter 4, chapter, yeah, chapter 4, verse 3. Ah, let, me, let me read from the beginning, okay? He writes to Timothy in chapter, chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Y'all hear what he's saying? Let me, let me tell you something, Timothy. Don't move from this charge I am giving you. Preach the word of God. Exercise all authority in preaching the word of God. And then he goes to verse 3. Why? Why, Paul, Timothy may ask, why do I have to stick to the word? Why do I have to rebuke with this? Why do I have to train and teach other people to know the truth? Why is that, Timothy? I don't understand. You know people aren't going to like me for some of the things that God has said for us to say? Yeah, I know, Timothy. I know. Remember where I am right now. Remember that I'm in a Roman prison cell right now, Timothy. Yeah. I know they're not going to like you. Preach the word. Let me tell you why, Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul preached, uh, Timothy preached the word of God. If you preach the truth, people will recognize these myths. There's coming a time they're not going to endure sound teaching. Folks, we are in that time. He was in it then. That time where no one will endure sound teaching started right after Jesus ascended. Paul, he's not predicting the future. He's saying what's happening now is going to endure. It's always going to be this way until Jesus comes. I'm looking forward to that, right? going to endure something. They have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. That's what it's saying. They want to hear what they want to hear. I want you to tell me how pleasant life can be if I know Jesus. Tell me that if I pray this prayer, everything will be all right. Tell me that if I surrender myself, that life won't be hard 
anymore. Tell me that my marriage will straighten out if I follow Jesus. I can't tell you that. Can't tell you any of those things. You know why? Marriage is hard. You got to work at it. Parenting, that's hard. You got to work at it. I like what Vody Bauckham said. You know why God made them so cute? So we won't kill them. It's hard to parent. I had somebody say to me not long ago, I think I married the wrong person. I said, who are you married to? Well, my wife. Okay. Then you're married to the right person. You can't go back. You made a covenant with a living God. And you made a covenant with a woman. You made a covenant with a man. You can't go back. And it's hard. It's hard to work it out. It's hard to make it work. It's hard to submit yourself to the living God. But the truth is the truth. False prophet will never tell you that. Sound teaching, they will not endure. They'll get somebody to give them itching ears. Like old Joel. Like Benny Hinn. Like T.D. Jakes. Like Joseph Prince. Tell us what we want to hear. We'll write you a check. Christ Merchants. And if you look at their lifestyle, you can see that using Jesus as their way of making money has done them well. But woe to them. Praise God, woe to them that he will judge them accordingly. And woe to them because of those they have misled with false gospel. Lastly, There are no alarming doctrines in the teaching of false prophets. No alarming doctrines. There's nothing that penetrates and causes your conscience to feel the weight of sin. Jeremiah chapter 6, not far from where we were. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking. He says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. 
saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Y'all hear that? These false prophets, Jeremiah, I want you to know something. They're preaching a light gospel, a gospel that says, hey, everything's fine. Peace. There's going to be peace. There's peace among us. There is no peace, he says. And they're not ashamed of preaching a false message, nor are the people ashamed of following a false message. Arthur Pink, wonderful preacher, theologian, pastor, early 20th century, writes, There is nothing in their preaching which searches the conscience and renders the empty professor uneasy. Nothing which humbles and causes their hearers to mourn before God, but rather that which puffs up, makes them pleased with themselves, and to rest content in false assurance. Nothing to cause conviction of sin. Nothing that points to sinfulness. Everything that makes them be at ease. Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets. They want your allegiance. They want your money. They want your praise. But mostly, they want your minds. Because your minds are the minds that God has ordained to be the teachers and trainers of your own children. False teachers want to mislead your thinking. They want to mislead your thinking so that your thinking will carry on to the next generation. Let me help you understand something. Your children need the Word of God, and they need it every single day. Fathers, please, I challenge you, I beg you, read the Word of God to your children. I mean, read the Word of God to your children. If you are not reading the Word of God to your children and to your family, if you're not praying with your children and your family, you are neglecting a responsibility that God has given you. You are neglecting it and you are throwing it away. We've got enough 30-year-old men sitting in their mama's basements playing video games. We need men who will lead their families and teach them the Word of God. We need people, men, Fathers, husbands who will hold the truth, live the truth, stand the truth, and pass on the truth. I want you to know you can become a false teacher by neglecting the Word of God. By sitting back and letting the world train your kids. By letting the world feed their minds. I want you to know you are part and central in Jesus saying beware of false teachers. Because you have the greatest responsibility to teach your children in the home. You do. Not me. I don't have that responsibility. I have the responsibility to undergird what you're doing. You have the responsibility. Beware of false teachers. Don't be one. Don't be one. 
Fall in love with the Word of God yourself. Feed on it. Digest it. Memorize it. And most importantly, live it every single day. You're at the center of what Jesus is saying. You. Fathers, husbands, beware of being a false teacher. Train your children in the Word of God. Before you think I'm mad, I'm not. I'm just serious. That's all. I'm not mad. I just want to tell you that I look out. I see so many of you fathers who are doing that. I am so thankful that you are. I see it in your children. I see it in your families. I see it in our church. It kind of bleeds on in. I love that. So not only do I challenge you with this, I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. And I applaud you even though you don't want my applause. I applaud you. I'm proud of you for how God is working in your life and in your home. And I pray that God would work in the lives of so many others. You pray for them too, okay? You pray for any fathers or husbands that aren't doing that. You raise them up. You befriend them. You show them. How to lead their families in truth. I assure you, if you will not lead your family, the world is glad to do so. Let's pray for you. Father, we want to thank you. The truth of your word. The challenge Lord, that comes from it, the conviction that reminds us that we're not doing it or that we are. And we resent it. Lord, help us be a lover of you and a lover of your word, and to love our families in such a way that our community, our church, our world is transformed and changed. We thank you in Jesus' name.